I was the good boy to everybody. I was all things to all people. Uh, and uh, I was nice, 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 nice. I did all my dastardly stuff in the shadows, drinking, drugs, sex, all the things uh, were all in the shadows. So everybody's parents loved me, right? Because I was the nice Jewish kid in the neighborhood and all that stuff. But, you know, I was a degenerate in, in, in private. Hello and welcome to Enough, the podcast. I'm your host, Mandy Leto. This show is a mashup of inspiration and exploration around what gets in the way of us feeling good enough. If you're a leader whose life looks shiny and together from the outside, but inside your inner critic assures you that you are one hot mess, this podcast is for you. It's time to own your worth quirks, foibles, imperfections, and all. Welcome to Enough. Mark Silverman generated over $90 million in sales for tech startups. He had a beautiful family, a sports car, a lovely home. He was the squeaky clean guy who everybody loved. The thing was, Mark was performing nice guyness for everyone because that's what he'd learned to do. I was a chameleon, so I spent my life really learning how to morph myself for everybody else. Uh, again, part of it was from childhood. So that skill, I learned that skill. It was in, in, innate. I knew how to be who people needed me to be, to be liked and to be safe. Mark spent years keeping up his nice guy facade, but the pressures of being chronically agreeable were beginning to take their toll. He was a sex addict who spent money on clothes and shiny things to distract himself from his secret desire to be the bad boy. He blew up his job and his marriage, and while struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts, Mark began the deep work of stepping out of the nice guy conditioning that wasn't healthy or sustainable for him. Little by little, he worked out boundaries. He learned to forgive himself. I wanted to tell everybody, you're okay just the way you are. Oh my God, I didn't know. I had no idea we were all okay. You're okay. I love you. You're, I promise you, no matter what you did, no matter what's happening, you're okay. Nowadays, Mark is a transformational coach and facilitator, and in this conversation, he'll share how he consciously chose to be an intentional creator of his life, with much less autopiloting in his good boy conditioning. If you identify as a people pleaser and as someone who's chronically nice, this episode is for you. I cannonball us right into the conversation, asking what it was like to be the little Mark. Ready? Grab your cuppa. Let's roll. Little Mark was the uh, the light of everybody's life. And that was that was kind of purpose built. My mother, my mother, you know, I, I don't think I've actually ever said this out loud. My brother and sister and my father seemed to cause my mother a lot of anguish all the time. So my mother was upset all the time. She would rage. She would be, she really had a lot of trouble dealing with 
all the pressures on her. Now, you know, we can look at some of that and say, you know, financial pressures, you know, she was, you know, a very responsible person, all that stuff. But what it, what it rained down on me was I made the decision that I was going to be the savior of my mother. And it was my job. In fact, I made, I made a decision that every single day I was going to give my mother a hug and a kiss and an I love you. And it was my job to make my mother smile. Uh, so I became kind of the peacemaker in the family. And that became my, my identity is uh, I can get along with everybody. I can, I can make everybody happy. Uh, and uh, and I, gotta, I need to act perfectly. Uh, one of the things I, I just did some deep belief work on that, and I didn't realize this, that having a mother with narcissistic disorder, when she would rage at me, uh, I, I actually had a, uh, up, up until very recently, uh, it's dangerous. It's life and death. It's dangerous to make a mistake. So I spent my whole life trying to do things right. And if I made a mistake or if someone told me I made a mistake, it was life and death. And that goes back to being five years old, not being an adult saying, oh, I made a mistake. I'm safe. That five-year-old is like, it's not safe to make a mistake. So especially when women would call me out or rage at me uh, for making a mistake, it was, it was really tough. So that, that's kind of how that started, I think. How did that manifest as you got older? Because it's so easy to learn that this is how we get value. This is how we get love on the one hand, or this is how we avoid punishment. Take us into how you started to discover as you became a man that like, ooh, this still works for me. So the way, the way my life went is I, I kind of split. Uh, I was the good boy to everybody. I was all things to all people. Uh, and uh, I was nice, 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 nice. I did all my dastardly stuff in the shadows, drinking, drugs, sex, all the things uh, were all in the shadows. So everybody's parents loved me, right? Because I was the nice Jewish kid in the neighborhood and all that stuff. But you know, I was a degenerate in, in, in private. Uh, and that as I grew up, you know, sex, drug, and rock and roll became more and more. So I rebelled uh, and I went straight into, uh, you know, the, the bar life and the, the drug life and the sex life so to where it almost destroyed my life and I was homeless. Uh, so for me, you know, the, I ran away. I, I, I couldn't sustain the good boyness. So I ran away from it. When I finally became sober, then all of a sudden the good boy came back. I had to make up for being homeless. I, I uh, had to make up for all the things I had done wrong and the, the destruction I had wrought. So I became, uh, I remember when I first got into AA, one of the women in AA says, Mark, I've never seen such white t-shirts and white sneakers. Like everything had to be perfect. I had to be crisp. So I was, you know, again, I went back into the good boy uh, the nicest guy, you know, like and nobody, my ex-wife used to say, you know, when you walk into a room, 50% of the people are going to like you and 50% of the people aren't going to like you, except Mark, everybody likes Mark, right? Because it was by design. I was a chameleon. So I spent my life really learning how to morph myself for everybody else. Again, part of it was from childhood. So that skill, I learned that skill. It was in, in, innate. I knew how to be who people needed me to be, to be liked and to be safe. Cause it was, if I was liked, I was safe. But the other piece was, uh, you know, it started all over again to erase the homelessness and the, the degenerate part of me so that I never looked that way again. And that went straight through to my marriage. My ex-wife used to say, you know, Mark, you're a 10 as an ex, you know, you're, you're a 10 as an ex-husband, you're a 10 as a son, you're a 10 as a father, you're a 10 as a brother, you're a 10 as a worker, right? You know, you're just, 
you know, all things to all people all the time. And that led to my, my downfall, my midlife crisis. I, I actually talk about this in my workshops all the time. In fact, I, I talk about you with your adrenal fatigue, you know, with, with women, they hit adrenal fatigue and then they just go, you know, down, right? Men, when they can't keep it up anymore, and uh, they tend to blow things up, right? When they can't keep that facade going, rather than going down for the count, something, you know, they blow up their health, they blow up their marriages, they blow up their businesses. Uh, so for me, I blew everything up because I just couldn't keep, I couldn't keep it up. I got married, I had kids, I became a millionaire. I have the whole, you know, Tony Robbins uh, uh, timeline there going, uh, you know, the, the big house, the sports car, I was the committee chair for the Boy Scouts, I was basketball coach, all those things. I was perfect. And then when everything fell apart, you know, like I couldn't sustain that. I hadn't done the inner work. I had gotten sober, but I couldn't like couldn't keep that persona up because there was there wasn't anything real underneath, right? The mm -hmm. difference between nice and kind, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have I wasn't a choice with being all things to all people. I wasn't a choice constantly trying to fix things for people. I wasn't a choice uh, uh, to be a ten for my parents, to be a ten for my ex wife, to be ten for my kids. I wasn't that choice with that. It was a compulsion. So, you know, I ran smack dab into a wall. What were some of the things you were trying not to know if you take yourself back to that well, time? One, one of the things was, you know, uh, one of my outlets uh, was being a sex addict. And it took everything I had not to act out on, on those compulsions, uh, right? I didn't want to step out on my wife. So I, that was really hard. So I spent a lot of money on, you know, I bought like lots of expensive clothes. I, you know, did that kind of thing. Uh, and I did everything I could to cover it up. But that secret, that secret compulsion to be bad was just getting worse and worse and worse and worse until the point I actually met someone because uh, I, you know, I shouldn't have been on like these apps and things like that. And I met someone and uh, I actually didn't do anything. I actually left my wife before I was going to do something with that person, but I actually left my wife, blew up my marriage in order to finally be able to act out. Uh, and it was, um, you know, it was just, it was just like a, like putting a finger in a dam. So it was really, it was really, really hard to keep that facade going. And what happened was, what happened was not pretty. Again, it was uh, hives, uh, panic attacks, like this was all going on before I left my wife. Uh, um, uh, I couldn't sell anymore. My, my career was gone. Like I, I was a great sales guy. I couldn't sell uh, the panic attacks. And then after I left, the depression and the sick, you know, I was sick all the time and all that happened. Uh, so that's what happens when, you know, I was in, you know, now I know I was incongruent. Uh, but then all I knew was I was, I was doing everything I can not to blow everything up and it blew up anyway. What do you think the sex was really about? You know, I was molested over and over as a kid. So my whole, my whole understanding of sex and validation and who I am comes from that. You know, I'm, I'm going to be 60 years old. Uh, i done so much trauma work and so much healing work. Uh, and it's still in the back of my mind. It's still, you know, roams around there and, in, in, you know, informs a lot of who I am today being molested as a kid, right? It's still here. Uh, it's consciousness and it's all the work that I've done in order to not make it front and center and the thing that's destroying my life. But I have to consciously work through that when it comes up. You know, that I, I wish I could say that trauma just disappears 
but it doesn't. And, you know, and, and so I, 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 one of the reasons, one of the reasons I'm grateful for that is uh, with all the tragedy, with all the things that, I, that I've gone through, uh, I'm able to have compassion for anybody dealing with anything. You know, people look at me, they call me Yoda, they call me all these, you know, all these wonderful things about because of the way I conduct my life now. But to be able to admit, that's not what's going on between my ears. <laughs> between my ears, it's still, I would like to go to Las Vegas and die in the arms of a hooker with a heart of gold, just like Nicolas Cage and leaving Las Vegas. That's, you know, that's what's in the back of my head. It's only consciousness and all the work that keeps that from happening. So being able to admit that, uh, I think helps other people who have that bad guy inside. And how do you integrate those two people? The thing that I do now is, you know, I wrote an entire book on how to set boundaries, how to speak up, right? How to speak my mind. People, you know, where before I was a chameleon, now I say what I think, I say what I feel. I'm I'm honest about who I am. Uh, and and that lets that that lets that valve off, right? To be able to actually speak my truth. Uh, and to actually to say, hey, look, I'm not, I'm not all this shiny clean penny that I that I that I look like on social media. Uh, my life is absolutely, you know, a testament to all the work. Uh, but between my ears, it's still it's still quite a bit of a mess. We've had a lot of conversations from women's perspective on how they've learned to live with their good girl conditioning. I wanted to richen the conversation by having someone male-identifying share their experience of what it was like to grow up as the good boy and how to navigate life as the nice guy. What does that look like? How do we start to set boundaries? Is the opposite of the nice guy the bad guy? It doesn't have to be. And that's what I hope Mark is helping to show you in this conversation. We're going to jump back in where Mark is sharing what it was like to hit rock bottom after he'd blown up his life and how he started to, little by little, come out the other side, one decision at a time. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. Let's dive back in. I finally let the world know who I was, right? Uh, so so that was, that was, for me, that was, you know, I hit rock bottom. I hadn't taken a drink, nothing, but I hit rock bottom. Right, I finally let go of the veneer uh, of of who I uh, of, of who I really was, and instead of you know, again, I wanted to die. I was really suicidal, and I wanted to die. But I knew that if I killed myself, the legacy to my kids was unreversible, and there was no way I was going to do that. So I kept putting one foot in step of the other. You know, I, I decided to run a marathon. I decided to make a million dollars. I decided to do these things because I thought I was going to die. Committing to those things is what pulled me through. Committing to uh, creating something, right? I wanted to leave a million dollars for my ex-wife and my kids before I died. Again, being the good boy, I couldn't die uh, penniless. I had to leave him a million dollars. So at least Mark did something in his last, you know, thing. But while I was doing that, I was reading every self-help book. I was reading every spiritual book I could find uh, and, uh, and spending hours and hours and hours and learning to meditate. So I went from suicidal and miserable to, okay, I'll live for a little while longer. Okay, I'll live until Jake gra graduates high school, right? Okay, well, actually, life isn't so bad. And then to finally, you know, re in the middle of um, Alan Cohen's Relax into Wealth, finding love and forgiveness for myself. Uh, and that was, you know, that's the revelation. That's what changed everything. When I finally realized that I could forgive myself 
and that I could be gray. I didn't have to be black or white. I could be gray. For me, that was when I became an ex-smoker. Like I wanted to tell everybody, you're okay just the way you are. Oh my God, I didn't know. I had no idea we were all okay. You're okay. I love you. You're, I promise you, no matter what you did, no matter what's happening, you're okay. Yeah. And uh, that, was, that you know, I just wanted to shout from the rooftops you know, and just heal everybody that met that, you know, you can forgive yourself. It's funny, uh, our mutual friend, Steve Hardison, uh, he and I are, were texting this morning. Uh, I was, I was reading in the way of mastery, uh, a book that, uh, I got from him and we were texting back and forth about self-forgiveness and that for forgiveness, you know, is the way to God is the way to enlightenment. And, uh, and, you know, self-forgiveness is hard fought especially when my, my ego structure and who Mark is, is predicated on beating Mark up. Uh, letting go of that is like a death. You know, it felt, you know, letting go of beating myself up felt irresponsible. It's like, if I don't beat myself up, who's going to keep this whole thing in check? Like if I don't absolutely trash myself, who is going to keep me from ruining everything? And to forgive myself uh, was blasphemy. And now it's again my our biggest our biggest weakness our biggest tr- you know, challenge is my biggest strength is self forgiveness forgiveness of others uh, uh, you know speaking my mind being the same person on the outside as I am on the inside being the same person in in private as I am in public that's all you know that's the byproduct of all this work. My favorite part of this conversation with Mark is how he talks about the importance of self-forgiveness. It's so crucial that I wanted to pause the conversation and invite you to free yourself from the people that you've hurt, the bad things you've done, the ways you've disappointed other people. Forgive yourself. This harkens back to Jen Pastelov's Let Yourself Off the Hook book. We need mechanisms to free ourselves because otherwise that stuff accumulates and it becomes heavier and heavier until we're struggling to breathe. This also reminds me of what Luisa Milano said in the previous episode about holding it lightly, like bringing levity to the situation and catching yourself being an ash hole to yourself and saying, Oh, look at me doing that thing again. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. And bringing levity to lighten the situation. This can be how forgiveness happens. It doesn't need to be falling to your knees and having a religious experience, though it can be that too. Try to be in the practice of self-compassion and self-forgiveness. Game changer. Okay, let's get back to Mark. The advice is to take this from from two levels. On one level, the practical level is start small baby steps. Uh, you know, learning to say no or may I get back to you so that you can sit for a minute and decide if you want to do something. Setting small boundaries, speaking up your mind, testing the waters. Problem is that a lot of this comes from childhood crap. It comes from childhood uh, trauma. So you can say, you know, you should just speak up and speak your mind in a meeting, right? But you have this little kid inside you that's going, no, if you speak up in the meeting, the CEO is going to fire you and chop your head off because that's what happened when you were a little kid. But that's all happening so lightning fast that you can't even parse it to figure out what the hell's going on. So my suggestion is you start small and baby steps in your boundaries and speaking your mind and and that kind of thing. And then you go do the trauma work. You go do the internal work, the belief work on where did this belief come from that I can't speak my mind? And you start to pull away those layers. 
That ain't easy. It can be excruciatingly painful to go do that. But the dividends it pays are, are, are something that you don't even understand. It's unfathomable for, to me, it's, it's unfathomable for a person who's never been able to set boundaries to know what it is to live in a world where people actually respect you and, and uh, you, you actually speak up and, 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 and you know, you're just the same person inside and out. You don't even know what that exists. But I'll tell you that deep inner work, that peeling your skin off sometimes the way it feels is so worth it. I get that it can feel really intimidating to start to do this deep work. That's why I wanted Mark to share with us some of his daily practices of what it looks like to start to create yourself differently. So Louisa talked about her I am statements, how she creates herself into the world. Monique talks about her body scan and how she liaises with her body, asks it for information about what it would need and want at this moment. I ask Mark to share his number one top tip that you can try to integrate into your life too. Curious? Keep listening. For me, the number one thing that I do, and it's still like the cheapest coach I have is the morning pages, the Julia Cameron from the Artist Way morning pages. Sit down in the morning, you know, with your cup of coffee, with your cup of tea, and write for 20 minutes. I do three pages, three pages of small of a small notebook. And what I what I find is as I start to do that, and I can ask a question, you can start, you can start with, I start with, you know, getting the trash out. I hate this person, I hate this, I'm resentful about this, right? You start with that. Then you get to emotional intelligence by page two, and then God starts to speak to you and your intuition starts to speak to you on page three. Yeah. But you can start with, why won't I set a boundary with my husband? Why won't, I, why won't I speak up in a meeting and just write for 20 minutes? All of a sudden that stuff starts to come up. And then if you can be kind with it and you can start to go, huh, that makes sense. That, you know, now, now maybe you can go speak to a friend about it. You can get some perspective or you can hire a coach or you can, or you can get some therapy or something like that. But I think that's the place to start is, is, is journaling, 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 because that's where you can have a conversation with that five-year-old. You can have a conversation and get perspective on what happened when you were five years old. For somebody who's in a relationship and they feel like they're not really stepping into their power or stepping into boundaries, is this a different practice in an intimate relationship? In a Nope. No. Tell it's the same, it's the same practice. This. It's different stakes, but it's the same practice, right? You may make someone unhappy and you may make the person sleeping next to you unhappy, right? So it's just, it just is, you know, we get it. Often we don't get into relationships for the healthiest reasons. Often we get into relationships. We dovetail some of our needs. We think this relationship is going to fill, fulfill this need. We fulfill that need. And we're not really real and then five years later, all of a sudden, this is starting to annoy me. That's starting to annoy me. And all of a sudden, when you when you decide you're going to change the rules, we make the, we have these unspoken agreements when we get into a relationship. Oh, look, you're going to be this person. I'm going to be that person. You're going to fulfill this need. I'm going to fulfill that need. And we all we go happily ever after. And then all of a sudden, we grow and change, and we want different things, or we get tired of something, and we want something different. Now, your partner, you know, when you're changing the rules on your partner, you got to be compassionate with your partner because if you're like. You know, you've always done this. Uh, like uh, I've always emptied the dishwasher, and now I'm not going to empty the dishwasher. You're changing the rules, so you have to have compassion for them that they now have to adjust to whatever rules 
you're you know asking for and changing so those conversations i i i am a big 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 proponent proponent of having a referee uh, I'm a big proponent of having a referee before you get married. Like go go do eight counseling sessions and have some communication skills. You know, learn commu- communication skills. Go to a John Wineland uh, uh, retreat and learn how to talk to your spouse and say the truth. And then plan on going to one every year or every two years to refresh your ability to be honest with each other because you will have a, you know, intimacy doesn't happen. There's no intimacy if you're not honest. Uh, there's no... There's no intimacy in these agreements. It's when the agreements start to get uh, um, messy and you start to, and you choose to come together and you choose to forgive each other and you choose to heal each other and you choose to deal with those things where intimacy can come up. And we don't really know that intimacy is so much more beautiful than what we had before. But you have to go through that agony of the, of the uncomfortable before you get to the intimacy. I ask all my guests to leave a brick of wisdom on this journey to enough of coming back to ourselves and claiming the wholeness that's been there all along, but just been hiding in plain sight. And in this case, hiding under the nice guy energy. Oh God, the nice guy now wants to, uh, let's see, I laid all the bricks. I think I gave you all my bricks. The nice guy wants to come up with something really, really uh, profound. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I'm going to ask you not to be profound. I'm going to yeah. ask you to just be in the mess. It could be a mantra. It could be a quote. It could be a single word. I just wonder what. I, no, actually, I, I'll tell you exactly what it is. Nobody's got it figured out. I'm in the world of self-help. I walk, I walk among giants. I walk among the shiny and the clean and nobody's got it figured out. Very few people, including the relationship coaches, have their relationships figured out. Everyone is a work in progress. Everyone is a work in progress. I'm telling you, everyone is a work in progress, no matter what they look like on Instagram. Uh, So you're a work in progress, just like them. Be kind to yourself. Where can people hang out with you? Because I know they'll want more of you, Mr. Silverman. Where's the best place? The best place? They can go to my website, markjsilverman.com, mark the letter jsilverman.com. I post a lot on LinkedIn and uh, Facebook. Uh, so I post articles and videos and things like that. Um, and you, but you can find my books and uh, I'm going away to the beach uh, next week. Uh, one of my clients uh, offered me his beach house. So I'm going to go finish my next book at the beach. Uh, and then that'll be on my website. So that's how you can find me. Oh, and then I, I host the Mastering Midlife podcast, which, which is man, excellent, by the way. Early, one of my early guests, <laughs> wizard and exquisite. Uh, conversation. Actually, what I love about that conversation for people who are listening to you on your on on your podcast is that that was you exploring. You know, years ago, that was you exploring some of this some of this ground that you're actually covering now, but in in the beginning stages, and it was so beautiful. I, it's still one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded, and just so much healing in there. So I think uh, uh, I people should go listen to that. Thank you. We'll put it in the show notes. Mandy in her messy evolution. This is all mess here, which is which is what I'm trying to share. Thank you, Mark, for playing with us. I love you a ton. Thank you for love having you. me. So you know that human who came to mind when you were listening to Mark talking and you think, oh, I really need to share this conversation with them. 
please do. That's how this podcast gets wings and gets more impact with more people is because wonderful human beings like you share it. So thank you in advance for doing that. Next week on the pod, one of my favorite people. She's a life and self-leadership coach for authentic and ambitious women. Alison Crow is in the house. Here is a little snippet of what you can expect next week. It is really deep. It is really systematized, like not just racial systems, but all the systems. Like we have been conditioned to give our inner authority away by everything, by family structures, by schools, by religion, by spirituality. We've also been conditioned to not feel. We dig into Allison's experience of internal family systems. And don't worry if you don't know what that means, you will. As a means of shifting her relationship with her good girl conditioning, there is tons of practical, inspiring goodies in this episode. And I look forward to sharing it with you next week. In the meantime, this is Mandy Leto signing out for Enough, the podcast. <laughs>